Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. I don't know about you, but I quite often need a boot up the backside. I need to be disturbed. I miss the point, like I did with Ben's prayer. When you read what a lot of experts say about Jesus, though, I kind of feel I'm not alone in missing the point. And that isn't just true today, that was true back in Jesus' time. Back in Jesus' time, I think Jesus felt very frustrated at some of these religious people who just missed the point. As we saw in the first reading, which was all about not blowing your own trumpet. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do. Can you sense his frustration? These are religious people doing a religious act and missing the point. It's all about them. But religious people missing the point didn't stop in Jesus' day. Have you ever met somebody who, no matter what you do or say, you always feel they kind of don't approve of you? They might sort of look over their glasses at you. They might purse their lips all the time. They never smile. They never laugh. They never say anything approving. They diminish you. And they wouldn't know what a good sin was if it jumped up and bit them in the nose. (laughs) Ever met anyone like that? Well, actually... There's never been anyone exactly like that. It's a caricature. I mean, we all, I'm sure, know people who would quite like to be accompanied by music when they do good things, like the blowing of trumpets, but nobody's exactly like that. It's a caricature, and that's what Jesus is doing here. Years ago, I read commentators that said this passage about the trumpets was a thing. The religious people got people to play trumpets with them as they walked to give their money to help the needy. And I just assumed that was true. That's the way I've always read the passage. Until last year when I read a commentator that said there is no evidence that that ever happened. That is not a thing. And then the penny dropped. Jesus is painting a caricature. They would have had a laugh. Yeah, those people, that they might as well be blowing trumpets. They're showing off. But I think the tragedy of this story isn't that I missed the joke. The tragedy for me of this story is that the commentators who wrote those original commentaries that I read felt so compelled to paint Jesus' words as real and true and honest and historical that they missed the point when he was exaggerating for emphasis. He's a public speaker. So if Jesus did slip in little jokes here and there, have you ever wondered what Jesus would have laughed at? Or did he ever laugh? Was he too spiritual to laugh? I reckon there's quite a lot of humour in what Jesus said. Swinburne famously wrote about Jesus, O pale Galilean, the world has grown grey from thy breath. But I don't think Jesus was like that. Look at his words. But also, look, about, look, look at his lifestyle. Jesus was knocking around the countryside 
with people that weren't from the higher echelons of society. Fishermen. He was a tradie. His dad was a carpenter. He learnt the carpentry trade from his dad. That's why I put the wood grains there. There's a reason, because every time you look at the Bible, it's really important to look at the context in which it was set. What would Jesus' hearers have been expecting from him? He was a carpenter. Now imagine all that group, that band going around the country, and to put it in an Australian context, every night sitting around the campfire. Imagine a guy keeping a band of of other guys together and still following him and not having a sense of humour. I don't think that would have happened. So what was the point of Jesus' sense of humour, of his jokes? Sometimes I think he meant to be shocking. To shock us into saying, what really is the point of this? I don't think he was speaking a legal document of theology, where everything is perfectly measured. But I think Jesus' words, for me, are a window into our souls. Something that will get us thinking about what actually is the point and experiencing God as true and real and living. To me, those are Jesus' words. And I want to say to the sour-faced commentators who try to explain away some of Jesus' outrageously wonderful sayings, just look at what he said. Just look at what he said. So let's have a look at what he did say in today's reading, the second reading. But first, context. Notice who he's talking to and notice what the religious people were saying about Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Who was at Jesus' table? Tax collectors and prostitutes. Now, I don't know what sort of idea, in fact, I don't know whether that does conjure up an idea in your mind, but if it conjures up any sort of idea and you're thinking about white-collar criminals and high-end escorts at a soiree, to use Sam's word... You've missed the point. The tax collectors here were collaborators with the occupying Roman forces. They were taxing their own people and taking a pretty good cut for themselves. And they weren't there with high-end escorts. Jesus' dinner guests were the scum of society. Now, the religious people didn't mind going to those people. Didn't mind spending time with them. That wasn't what Jesus was getting trouble about. They would go as long as they had a clear conversion agenda. You are sinners. You are unacceptable in God's sight. You need to change. That was great. Jesus didn't get into trouble for just being there. What Jesus got into trouble for was accepting these people for who they were and where they were. Does that sound familiar? Because I reckon, don't tell Sam, I think he's gone. Don't tell Sam this. But I think Jesus must have been listening to one of Sam's sermons. Because at Jesus' dinner table, people could belong before they believed and believe before they behaved. 
Of course, Jesus wanted to transform their lives. Of course, he wanted to lift their eyes above the horizons and to change them. But he wanted to do that by loving them, not pretending to love them so that he could suck them in, but really loving them. And if anyone ever says to you that Northside doesn't preach the Bible, please show them this passage and maybe tell them about the glow ministry to prostitutes. So let's, let's have a look at what Jesus told this illustrious assembly. And that's that story about the 99 sheep. Now, I grew up being told over and over again that Jewish shepherds knew their flock well. And if one wanted off, they'd know that, put that sheep and they'd follow it and bring it back. And they loved the sheep and that was like God to us. Well, if that's the case... I want to tell you a story. I'm a teacher, so let's call this story the parable of the good teacher. <laughs> let's call him Graham. <laughs> so Graham took a hundred kids off on an excursion to the Blue Mountains, bushwalking. We were camping overnight. We, oh, he and they were camping overnight. And... On the second day, they were walking along and Graham did a head count. And there were only 99. One had gone off. And, you know, did I mention this is about a good teacher? A great teacher. The best. <laughs> Do you know what this great teacher did and what made this great teacher so great? This teacher left the 99 kids in the middle of the bush and went in search of the one that was missing. <laughs> and waited for the lawsuits to roll in <laughs> and the parents. I think this is a time where serious religious people have missed the point. In those days, if you let a sheep walk off, wander off, not only might they get lost, because they weren't in paddocks that were fenced, but there were wolves. John 10, 12 talks about wolves. It's even in the Bible. And a lost sheep was a dead sheep because of those wolves. I've read commentaries that say what Jesus really meant, that's good, isn't it? What Jesus really meant was that the shepherd would leave the 99 with an assistant and he'd go off and get the sheep. Or that the, sheep had, the one sheep had only gone a little way and the shepherd could leave them in a safe place and go off and get the other sheep and bring it back. Well, let's have a look at the words. What did Jesus say in this passage? This passage uses the Greek word apolosus, which means loses. The shepherd loses the sheep. And Luke, in this uh, reading, says that the shepherd leaves behind, ketelepo, leaves behind the 99. And anyway, if Jesus had said this, this is what he could have said, God is like a well-organised shepherd who was able to contract out an assistant... <laughs> so that he could most effectively locate a misplaced item of stock. <laughs> it's not a great rap for God, is it, really? And what would be the point of telling the story anyway? And I want to say to the sour-faced commentators who try to explain away some of Jesus' outrageously wonderful sayings, just look at what he said. What Jesus said was ridiculous. So ridiculous it would have been funny. And I imagine his audience would be a lot closer to the land than a lot of us are. So they'd have got the joke, they'd have got the point, 
And the point was that God's love for us as individuals is so immense and deep and passionate that by the standards of the world, it is completely ridiculous. Like Ben's prayer for me, the point Jesus didn't want them to miss was God saying, it's because I love you. So why did Jesus bother to tell the story this way? Well, just imagine you're driving along a highway and there's a church with a billboard. And the billboard's got God is love written on it. Now, whether you follow Jesus or not, that's not any great news, is it? That's just the sort of stuff Christians say. So what? (laughs) And it makes the job of people like me difficult because we have to work hard to explain to people that this is actually more than a cliché. Jesus had the same problem. His audience knew what we call the Old Testament. It's full of God's love. Jeremiah 31.3, it's just such a beautiful verse. It's God's words to God's people. I have loved you with an everlasting love. They knew that. What Jesus is saying is that love is so big that by the world's standards, it is not only extravagant, it's ridiculous. And in modelling God's love, Jesus, with this group that he was with for dinner, is modelling it as a challenge and a scandal to the people around him. Jesus' love was a scandal. That's why he got into trouble. So, are we loving scandalously enough? Think about this. What if George Pell walked in the doors there and sat down next to you? Is God's love big enough for him? Not to condone his actions, but he's potentially a lonely, ashamed, guilty, worried man. Is God's love big enough for that sort of a man? Well, with God, there's always a way back. And with, as with God, so with us, surely. Remember, a lost sheep was a dead sheep in Jesus' day. God is in the business of doing miracles, even when they're uncomfortable. All right, so if we've got the joke, what does this mean for us as a church for Northside? Is our love scandalous and extravagant as God's or as God wants us to be? Are we loving and serving and caring for and welcoming each other? Are we loving and serving and caring for and welcoming the people outside our church? Are we loving and caring and welcoming people who other people wouldn't touch? I'm on the prayer team. The amount of fervour and commitment and love in that prayer group for many, many people throughout the church is wonderful. I'm in a beautiful community group, as Sam mentioned. I feel so loved and supported by them. Beyond our walls, there's the Alpha Course, there's Thrive Madagascar, there's the Glee Barbecue, there's the Glow Ministry to Prostitutes. And where would Jesus be? There's divorce care. We are touching the lives of people that other churches wouldn't touch. I can say this, I'm not in the ministry team. I can say from outside, this is their report card. Again, I'm a teacher, I do this. (laughs) 
And my report would say, Northside, I know you. I see what you're doing. I love that you're making an extravagant difference. And that would mean a lot to me even if I weren't a Christian. How do I know that? Because when I walked into the old Northside building many years ago, I was searching. One of the things that made me stay was that Northside was a place that was doing stuff to reach out to other people. Not to pretend to love them to suck them in, but because God's love transforms. That's one of the reasons I stay. So, yes, I would stay here if I weren't a Christian. I know that because I did. North Taramara too. I know North Taramara. Um, I got out a a Bible to prepare for the community group a couple of weeks ago and there was a plate in the front presented to Amanda Field, my wife. You know, about a third of our theological library at home has got Jay Bassick's name on it and Jay's over there at the moment, fresh from his honeymoon in Parramatta. (laughs) You know, Jay, um, when Amanda and I went to Paris, somebody gave Amanda a book, The 100 Best Places to Kiss in Paris, uh, oh, there's probably not a book for Parramatta. You know, <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> um, but a lot of the books have got Jay's name in, but another third of the books have got Ron Hewitt's name. He was the senior minister at North Taramara, and he was a mentor to Amanda. Lloyd Irwin, who was a senior minister there at North Taramara, was a mentor to both of us. I know them too. So when I say Northside, I know you, I see what you're doing. It's both campuses. So that's what it means as far... That's my report card. But what about us as individuals? Missing the point of this extravagant love of God is something that we don't want to do. So I've got a list here, and I'm going to read it to you, and I'll tell you why it's a list after I finish it. God cares, knows and cares if you are. Asking questions about God wrestling with issues of faith and doubt and meaning, realising that faith is not absence of doubt or intelligence, realising that faith is not solving issues of belief but exploring them. God knows and cares if you're battling illnesses, grieving a parent or a spouse or a child, if you're struggling with relationships or not having relationships, if you're struggling with parenting, if you're struggling in caring for sick loved ones or the pressure of work or the pressure because you don't have work or facing a big ethical decision or facing an uncertain future or if you feel distant from God and you're yearning to feel closer to God even though you've been a follower of Jesus for years. I read that list out because I wrote it thinking of people I know at Northside now who fit into each of those categories. There are people who've walked those paths here at Northside. Sometimes they've been battered and bruised in the process, but they're wiser and full of grace and wisdom and extravagant love. If you heard a category that you fit into mentioned there and you're new to the church, hang around long enough to meet some of these people. If you've been at Northside for a while and you haven't met anyone that fits into those categories, talk to the ministry team and they'll point you in the right direction. But whoever you are, please don't miss the point of Jesus' words. The words of Jesus as a real person, not some holy code. Get a copy of one of those red-letter editions of the Bible where Jesus' words are written in red. 
and just have a read of those. Forget the rest of it. Let them speak to you. I think you'll find they're surprising and challenging and sometimes angry at injustice and strident and discomforting and sometimes full of the most amazing comfort and concern and gentleness and beauty and grace. But finally, what if you're one of those 99 good sheep? What about us? I've got to include myself. We've got the point. What point might we be missing? And I've got a different prayer story for you. When Amanda and I pray with the kids at night, we often start with what are the highlights of the day? And we talk about them. And my daughter, Sammy, she's always enthusiastic with that. She'll tell us about the highs of the day and sometimes she'll tell us a long story about some of the stuff that's happened during the day and then the cats will come in and she'll cuddle the cats and we'll have a joke and a laugh and you know what? We'll get distracted from the serious business of praying. (laughs) And sometimes Sammy's distractions are some of the best moments. Because prayer isn't stuff that happens between the words God and Amen. (laughs) You like that? I tried that out on the kids last night at prayer time and Sammy said, deep. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. Prayer isn't just the words we spout at God. God knows them already. Uh, It's about relationship with God. And... For somebody like me with a very driven personality, sometimes the distractions that are important are easy to miss. So if you're one of the 99 sheep, please let yourself be distractible. And I know I've made a rod for my own back, Sammy, with this. When they're appropriate distractions, um, please let yourself be distractible from the duty and serious job of serving God when there are other parts of that duty that are actually more important. Be distractible by the beauty of God's world. That's a form of prayer. Be distractible by the people around you. That's God's work. A life of faith isn't a deadly serious business. It's about being in a relationship with God and in a relationship with other people. So just for a moment, maybe imagine you're sitting around a campfire with Jesus. Treasure those moments. The feeling of belonging. The feeling of home. That's what communion's about. If you're a follower of Jesus and you would like to join us in communion, you can come up in a moment and take a piece of the biscuit and a a, uh, little cup of juice. That represents Jesus' flesh and blood. God stepping into the world next to us, amongst us, knowing the struggles that we face and ultimately dying for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you might like to take a moment to think about some of the words of Jesus that might very well help you see something wider. If you need, if you'd like prayer, there will be people at the back to pray for you during the communion time. And whoever you are, remember that God is reaching out to you, saying, This is because I love you. Ludicrously, richly, extravagantly, ridiculously much. And that is no joke.
Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.